Okay, so we are live. It's episode five, and we are ready to talk to Zach Rancourt. This is episode five of Full Spectrum Podcast. I'm Aaron Bean, your host. And Zach, please, would you introduce to our lovely audience who you are, what you do, what you're all about? Well, hello, Mr. Aaron Bean. Uh, my name is Zach Rancourt. Aaron and I met in college back in 2009, I believe. And so we have been uh, bosom friends since then. But I am a uh, 30, almost 35-year-old who lives in Seattle, the Ballard neighborhood to be precise. Um, I am a fraud investigator. I work for a financial institution, but uh, I get to work from home, just like pretty much everybody during the pandemic. So it's been really great. And um, yeah, I'm a gregarious guy. I love to travel. Wow, good word. I, I know, right? I love the outdoors. Uh, I'm a huge sports fan. I'm a, a newly acquired Formula One fan. Absolutely mm. love it. Can't get enough of it. Um, I really enjoy hanging out with my friends and kind of just uh, living life spontaneously, sporadically, and just filled with fun. So that's what <laughs> living I do. sporadically. Oh, okay. So, okay. but what I mean is like taking advantage of, of random opportunities when they when they present themselves. So it's a, if it's a Tuesday and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to drive up to Bellingham to go see Aaron. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. It's not it's not a big deal for me. It's not something where I'm complacent in my own home and I and I cannot get away from my home or something like that. So right. that's what I yeah. mean with, with sporadic. So and yeah. spontaneous. And, yeah, yeah. Spon spontaneity is good. So you mentioned you have a couple podcasts. So tell us a little bit about your podcast uh, history, how long you've been doing it and uh, where to find you and what it's all about. Yeah, so I do have uh, some podcasts. I have two to be precise, possibly more. Who knows? We'll see. But I have been doing one for a little over three years and the other one for a little over a year. So the one I've been doing for a little over a year is called the Top 5 Podcast. It, uh, it consists of my friends Eric Shane and Tom Lockhart, who I have known for quite some time. And we basically just break down and kind of discuss our top five lists for any random category. Uh, despite us having real real knowledge on it, we usually just do a Google search and then do our own research sort of thing. On, mm. on on said category, um, which makes you an expert. It's exactly it's, it's yeah. when you when you Google search things, you're absolutely an expert. So and it's fun. It's just a conversation between us. Um, we have some conflicting opinions, which is really great because we can talk about things. There's been some really awesome episodes, and there have been some that I'm kind of like you know we could do better sort of. But it's a it's a good show, and you should check it out. It's called the Top Five Podcast. Okay, and then, that's your first one. That is my first one. My second one is um, I have been doing that one with my friend Justin Cavender for a little over three years, and that is a movie podcast. It is called the Don't Be Crazy podcast. What we do on that show is we take any movie, any specific film, and we break down and discuss what makes it good or bad. Uh, we don't just give a, hey, did you like the movie? Or, hey, what was your favorite part? We give a more analytical approach. In the infancy of the podcast, we did start out kind of uh, spread out and, and all over the place. It was an amalgamation of ideas, and we couldn't really hone it in. Over the years, the content, the audio quality, the production has gotten so much better, in my opinion. And it's um, it has a pretty good following, too, for the most part. We interact with our, our Twitter fans and our and all of our friends and stuff, and it's it's just a passion project. It's been, it's been a blast. I mean, I get to discuss movies with one of my best friends, like, on, yeah. on a weekly, and it's really cool. What more I'm, could I'm, you want? Yeah, I'm not an expert by, by any stretch, but I do know uh, a, a thing or two. I would consider myself a, cinef a cinephile. You know, a, so. you know a thing about stuff, yeah. So where do you see, like, do you see podcasting as an avenue, as a career? 
uh, you know, like to make money off of, to be profitable, or is it just a creative hobby for you, an outlet? Like, w- w- how do you use podcasting? Podcasting is just for fun for me right now. Uh, eventually, if if it got to a point when I could monetize it, then not, by all means, that would be fantastic. Because why not, right? Um, it's not about making money for me, though. Um, I sink in my own money to to produce content, but I really enjoy it. And my passion lies in in uh, you know the recording the content. Um, uh, producing things. So like the, the editing and also the uh, script for the show, the content that we're going to be doing. So I, I love that kind of stuff because we can really present different ideas. And my favorite thing is when someone reaches out and they say, Zach, I really liked this episode. And I, I loved what you had to say about X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, Oh, cool. Or like, I don't agree with you on that. And I'm like, Oh, cool. Let's have a discussion. So that's what I really like about it. But you know, in, in, in all due time, maybe it will get to a point where we can look into um, advertising, we can look into monetizing it. But really, it's not that's not that's not my end game. I just do it because it's a it's a fun hobby. Yeah. And it, so this is maybe a bit of a weird question, but imagine you're walking down the street and you pass by somebody and you, and you overhear them telling their friends about your podcast. Somehow you realize they're talking about your podcast and they're describing it. How would you ideally love to hear people describe your show? It is just a, uh, it's a, again, I'll use the term gregarious. It's, it's funny. It's insightful. It's easy to listen to. It's a, it's a cool breeze hour, maybe an hour, 15 minutes, give or take whatever the the show is. And it's kind of like, you know, these, these guys mean businesses. That's an ongoing joke we have. It's from the movie, (laughs) the the big hit. You'd have to kind of get it. So we we do that a lot. And I think the the best thing about the show is the rapport between Justin and I, we just really Mm. feed off of each other. And so I could see how that might not be everybody's cup of tea. We do constantly uh, ask for or consistently ask for feedback because, mm. I mean, I believe everybody can improve at every facet. So I'm always asking people whenever they listen to it, I'm like, what would you like? What didn't you like? Like, please let me know. So yeah. um, I could see how maybe it's harder sometimes for people to latch on to it. But uh, we have and that, that, that happened a while ago when we first originally started the podcast our idea was to do lesser known films but then we started realizing that you know what it's actually better if we just talk about movies that get people excited because i know personally like my some of my favorite movie podcasts i won't listen to certain episodes that i haven't seen the film for or i'm just kind of like eh, i don't really i didn't really like that movie so i don't necessarily want to hear about it so we try to do films that maybe are more hot controversial uh, or just classics that we've seen in the past. So um, we have, we have quite a few episodes about 150 plus, I think. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, so what, what have been, what do you think are the easiest and the hardest things about starting a podcast? So it's probably figuring out the format of the show. Um, anybody could have a podcast. I mean, you know, especially during the pandemic, we saw lots of people just throwing together their podcast, like the full spectrum podcast. <laughs> so hey, 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 anybody, anybody can anybody can start a podcast. And it's awesome. I love it. I love creativity. And I'm all for new content. Uh, but figuring out a format that will gain listeners is the biggest thing. I remember this gal that I was talking to uh, a couple of years ago, or like a year ago, she was asking me about our show. And she explained that she had a show where it was just her friend, and her and they were two divorced moms talking about just life. Mm. And I, while I liked the idea, while I'm, I'm cool with that because there are very successful podcasts that are just like that. I said to her candidly, I was like, no offense, but you're nobody. So what, what, what is the draw for me to come and listen to you just talk about random stuff? 
Um, I need to, I, I need some kind of pull that will, will get it in there. And so, and we still struggle with that sometimes for our show, but that's why we kind of hone in on more popular films, uh, especially with the films that are streaming now. It's easier to, and that's kind of one of our rules of thumb is we always are open for suggestions for films, not the fountain, mm. but <laughs> yeah, you fuckers. But <laughs> we, we definitely want it to be accessible to, to, uh, the masses so people can, watch the film either before or after they listen and have that complimentary piece to it. So, yeah. and I, I wasn't holier than thou moment with her. I just was like, Hey, like, I like what you're, you're going with, but you got to give the listener something a little more to, that can draw them in because me personally, and I know a lot of other people too, are like, I'm not going to listen to this person. Like who, who are they? They're talking about right. wine and, and kids. And well, that's great. probably the biggest reason why people don't. You know, a lot of people think about starting it, but then think, you know, uh, what what unique perspective do I bring, really, that the world needs to hear? You know, um, and I think that's a tough hurdle to get over. Yeah, finding that you know, finding that niche, um, like being able to to look for something that is. Uh, is positive can can grow. Um, I mean, it, it could be negative too, as long as you stick to that path um, and have nuances here and there. But as long as you're, you're able to do that. So that's like one of the hardest things, but also gaining listeners. And that, that goes hand in hand with it. You got to really put yourself out there, be on social media. You got to just reach out to people, um, you know, ask for the ratings. We, we climbed up quite a few. I think we have about 51 ratings on Apple podcasts, which is pretty good for Apple podcasts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially for a movie, you know, a movie podcast. Cause every geek mm. off the street has one. So like we just look at what makes us different and I wish I had a magic formula. It's, it's tough, mm. man. It's, it's just a, yeah. a, cut, a cutthroat game out there. And especially with everybody What's, working from home, it's, it what are your favorite podcasts? What are, what are your favorite podcasts? Something you listen to every time, every time a new episode comes out, you have to listen to it. My podcast. Oh, it's too many, too many to name, but, um, I do like the rewatchables reply all the horse squad podcast the geek garage podcast, uh, the checkered flag podcast on BBC and NPR up first. So that's my daily news news feed. Granted, it mm. is a little biased, but um, I, I listen to those pretty often. Yeah. Check it flag. That must be the F1. It is. So let's transition and talk about movies because I know you like movies. I like movies. Uh, I don't know about you, but I like I've never really considered myself a cinephile until I took a course in, in film actually back at the community college before we went to Central. And that really got me interested in the, you know, the science and the art behind the, the making of the movies. What, uh, what got you interested in film? I mean, I was watching movies when I was a kid growing up with my family. And I think that if you ask anybody what their favorite is, the question of favorite or the answer to favorite is incredibly subjective. So no one can ever sit and tell you, tell you that you're wrong. I mean, they can they can maybe shed different light on it, but they can never tell you you're wrong. So I love to ask people what their favorite movie is. And when they're like, oh, it's embarrassing, it's not that good. It doesn't matter because it's it's an art form and everybody looks at it differently. And so for me growing up, we used to watch movies all the time on VHS. Uh, some of my fondest memories in life were based off of watching Star Wars with my dad or Jurassic Park or Twister or, you know, Con Air, all those kinds of movies. And so. I was I grew up around the time that we had VHS and then we transitioned to DVDs and that was you know otherworldly it was the biggest thing when when DVDs were were prevalent and I I had my first job when I was 16 I was making money and I decided I wanted to start buying movies and then it became Oh yeah I, it was cool to have a DVD collection back oh, then Oh man I had I <laughs> still to this day I have about 500 DVDs that I have not gotten rid of oh, Jesus, I've gotten man. I've gotten rid of Nobody the boxes 
But oh, I God, and nobody's going to pay you for them. No, I don't. But, but that's the it's not the point. I have them just because I have them. They're in big CD binders and it's not that not that big of a are burden. you ever going to are you ever going to watch them? I have. I have before um, for certain films that are not streaming. I know that I have it. The quality is not the greatest, but it's also not horrible either. I'm, you know, as technology's progressed, I'm 100% streaming now. I'm I'm a, a guy who buys digital oh, yeah. copies because yeah. I I would prefer to share those with friends, give them my login and and keep those. Um but uh but yeah, so that's kind of what got me into it. I just through through my my obsession of buying them and just really loving them and then in college when I took some film classes uh, both in community and at Central, it really kind of grew on me and then I continued with that and I've always been fascinated with film. Hmm. So I asked you to make a list of top five movies, directors, and actors. Who's your top? What's your top five movies of all time? So that one's that one's tough. Uh, I know my top three, but uh, my four and five, and then additionally six through ten, are all interchangeable, um, and they constantly. I'm like, oh, I forgot about that movie. But my my official cemented one, two, and three are the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which I group as one because I can't just watch one of them. Um, and then they're all extended editions, of course. Uh, Almost Famous is my second one, and then The Dark Knight is my third one. So Almost um, Famous that's that's it seems like a bizarre kind of like one of these does not belong. No offense to Almost Famous, it's a good no, movie, it's, but like it's an incredible coming of age story with a fantastic uh, musical background and score, um, and it's just so well shot and it's it's a very heartfelt like true Cameron Crowe film, and I love every minute of it. Um, and then, so for, for the sake of this list, four and five are The Godfather Part Two and The Shining. Yeah, I mean, The Shining, sure, you know, it's a classic. Um, Godfather Part Two, I mean, like you like that better than the original? I yeah, mean, they're both so great, obviously. But. They they both are. They're both masterpieces. But the issue with uh, Two, something about it just really, really gets me. It's a different type of film where it's a lot more convoluted. You have to pay attention for sure. But there are so many amazing moments in that film and it really just hits different than, than the first Godfather. Um, hmm. They're both fantastically almost perfect films. I think. Fair enough. We, and- we actually just watched Shawshank on uh, mm-hmm. it's on Netflix right now. Fia had never seen it. She loved it. Yeah. Of course so it's a great film. Shawshank is also in my top 10. It, it's uh, it's, it's hard because like, again, the four, the four and five, I could easily put Shawshank in there. So you um, asked directors. MDB puts it at number one. Yeah. Well, yeah. Top know, five. Okay. Top five directors. So directors, I have Tarantino, uh, David Fincher, Paul Thomas Anderson, Christopher Nolan, and Joel and Ethan Cohen. Yeah, hard to argue with that. I mean, some people obviously would put Scorsese in there. You know, uh, a lot of people would put uh, Spielberg in there. You know, maybe Ron Howard makes the top 10. I don't know. Like, there's there's a lot of, you know, obviously Quaron and Gil Tor- Del Toro and um, – there's so many good directors. It feels like it feels like we're in the middle of a renaissance in terms of like really good auteurs. Um, and then a, another hard one is actors. I'm sure you've you've covered this on your podcast before, but who are your top five actors slash actresses? So yeah, that one is that one. It, it's tough. I, I don't really. I think we might have done it on the top five uh, podcast list. I think we did the top five actors over seventy, which was interesting because there was a lot. There were a lot that were over seventy. But so for me, I'm going to say Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Tom Hanks, Daniel Day-Lewis, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Francis McDormand. 
Oh, interesting. Right. Yeah, I will see Francis anything. Francis McDormand rounding out the top five. I will see anything she's in. She's absolutely incredible. And she's also in one of my top 10 movies, Fargo. So she's just yeah. amazing. Have you seen uh, Nomadland? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I really liked good. it. Yeah, I really liked yeah. it a lot. Kind of haunting. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's. I can't really argue with that list. It's like every time somebody mentions Philip Seymour Hoffman, though, I'm like, I'm like damn. I know. He was you know? pretty amazing. Yeah, him and Paul Thomas Anderson made a pretty pretty good duo there. I would I would have to contend. So, which of those movies do you think you've seen the most number of times? Of those movies, or just any movie? Just any movies. Well, so I mean, it's it's probably a tie. It's between the Lord of the Rings trilogy and then actually Clue, the movie Clue. I have seen that movie so many times, and it's because it's a it's I've a never good seen movie. it once. Oh my god, it's so good. You just put it on in the background. It's a comedy. I know every beat. I practically know every line. I love it. Absolutely love it. So Clue is Clue is fantastic. I would have to say for me, it's probably Zoolander, just because I watched that so many times growing up, and like I could almost quote that whole movie. That or Superbad or Super Troopers. I've seen Superbad a lot, quite a bit, and it still is hilarious. Yeah. Do you know what your most memorable movie theater experience has been? Absolutely. And I have four actually uh, that come to mind. When I first saw The Dark Knight in theaters, I, as soon as it was over, I was like, I can't believe what I just saw. That was incredible. And I was with my friends. Um, I remember when Joker says, look at me and how terrified everybody was. It was utterly insane. Uh, the movie Creed, actually, with Michael B. Jordan, the uh, basically sixth Rocky movie, seventh Rocky movie. Um, Absolutely love that movie. I saw it with my brother and my nephew, and we were just mesmerized at the entire hmm. film. So that was an incredible moment. Uh, Avengers Endgame, everything around that, uh, the culmination of you know twelve years of Marvel was was absolutely incredible to see in theaters and experience it with friends. And then Mad Max Fury Road, I actually saw that with Mark Giles and Blake Stanovich. We saw it in uh, in IMAX at the Pacific Science Center. And we were absolutely nice. blown, blown away by it. We kind of knew that it was good, but we didn't really know much about it other than we knew Mad Max. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we did not realize how good it was going to be. And just I loved watching movies with Mark because we were both that, like, that's a perfect one shit. for IMAX, too. Yeah, we, we were just yeah. like, holy shit. What did we just see? That was incredible. Yeah, so. I uh, I got to say, when I was living in Vietnam, the one of the first movies I saw in a theater there was The Force Awakens. And I have to say, when that first, that opening crawl came out and they hit that, Duh, I, yeah. my my heart w- went a flutter. You know, like it was it was a really nice moment. Another one was Inception. At the end, when you're watching the top and then it cuts to black, it's like The Sopranos, you know, and everybody gasps. There was an audible gasp in the theater. We were all like, <gasps> "What? The, is there going to be more?" Yeah. <laughs> and the third one, I have to say, my favorite movie experience was when I was like 19 and one of the Ice Age movies came out <laughs> and me and my buddy Evan got our hands on some booze somehow and we got kind of tipsy and we went and watched Ice Age and we sat there and every time, I think the character's name was Scritch, the little squirrel thing, every time that MFR showed up on screen, we were howling with laughter, just mm-hmm. drunk, watching a kid's movie, middle of the day. Scrat. Scrat. Scrat, yeah. His name, yeah. yeah. Because he, he he finally got his nut apparently because there's like seven ice age movies oh, and apparently he, they, they finally gave him his nut yeah so he has nice. a little kid <laughs> nice nice so if you were ever working in the film industry what kind of job would you want I would be an editor uh, that is where Why? the because that is how you make the movie in my opinion directors are fantastic the producing team is fantastic costume design set design everything the makeup artists everything goes into making a fantastic movie 
but editing is where it's at because you if you have poor editing looking at you bohemian rhapsody then it it will ruin a film for people and you think that had horrible editing I don't want to get into that one too much. Uh, it did. It's it's funny because it won for best editing, but I won't <laughs> yeah. even get, I won't even get started on the Academy Awards, who, who well, notoriously yeah, do not give the award for uh, best anything. It's more just what the, the masses say about certain things, and um, and they love they love period pieces and and biopics. Anyways editing can make or break a film and there are times for quick cuts. Um, there are times for jump cuts, but there are also times for, for one shots or long takes. And if you do not know how to edit a film, then it will lose cohesiveness and you will lose your audience. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, looking at the movies like Dune, fantastic editing in that movie, anything by Paul Thomas Anderson, fantastic uh, editing. So what do you, how do you think, how hard do you think it was editing Birdman? So that one, yeah. So so they did a Probably lot of pretty fun. easy. <laughs> well, they did a lot of fun. There were a lot of like you know uh, long takes, but um, and a lot of wonders, I should say. But the they used some transitional stuff, like a glass being put in front of the camera to make it seem like it was one continuous shot. But you're right. Um, the editing was a little different. You you do have to make sure you're picking your shots though. Um, so a movie like that was was incredible, or like 1917, right, where it's all basically mm, one right. continuous yeah. take. Um, they Sam did Mendes. use, yep. Yeah. And he's, he's great, but they used, you know, movie magic for certain things. It's a really neat gimmick. Um, 1917 is actually not that good of a film, but it, it, it definitely is it's a, good. it's a spectacle. It's, 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 it's good to watch, but in terms of a film, just as good as Dunkirk and I'll die on that nope. hill. Dunkirk is better. Dunkirk is, is I love Christopher Nolan, better. but 1917 is just as good. Dunkirk is so much better. So, um, but you know, like, again, you're not wrong. So it's just, um, but editing is, is, is where you make the magic. It's where you make the film. I'm going to, I'm going to clip out the audio of you saying you're not wrong. And I'm just going to keep that permanently. That's fine. You're not, you're definitely not that. wrong. The only thing I, I the, the only thing about being an editor that I think would be kind of a bummer is that you're probably not involved on set very much, which is probably, that's the fun part. That's the magic, right? Where the imp- improvisation happens, where the relationships are built. You're you know, on, if you're an editor, you're on set, you, though. I mean, yeah, probably you're there like, you know, being involved or whatever. But like if you're the director where your hands are in everything, you make all the connections, you make all these relationships, you know, and you get to have the direct creative control and give the the go or the no go. I think while being a lot more stressful, obviously, being a director would be so fulfilling. Yeah, sure. But I mean, that's kind of like a default answer, too. It's it's if you yeah. don't know what to answer, you'd say the director. It's like saying, you know, do, who do you want to be on a baseball team? Well, I want to be the center fielder who hits home runs. Yeah, lead off, you know. Yeah. And it's like, well, okay, but what about the the unsung heroes, the ones who there's a reason why there's best editing, you know, or best cinematography. So um, being a being a um, a director of photography would be incredible, too. And Roger Deakins is my favorite of all time. So it's just like that would be incredible because you work with the director. Sure. But the editor, same thing. I mean, all three of them work very close Mm, regardless. So, yeah. So. Streaming, you mentioned that earlier. You're fully digital, fully streaming, and but I'm sure you obviously love going to the movies, as most of us do. But do you see a world where all all the entertainment that we receive happens in our living rooms and we don't really go out to the theater anymore? No. I think theaters will still uh, stay. Uh, they... For certain films, I, I personally... I mean, I love the theater, but I personally made a rule for myself, excuse me, that I will only 
see uh, the only movies that I will see in theaters are uh, bigger action set pieces or epics that I want to see um, that I've been waiting to see for quite some time. So like the movie, uh, the Northman is, is out now. I'm going to wait for that one. As much as I do want to see that in theaters, I'm honestly going to wait. Plus Robert Eggers usually Robert shoots in like Eggers, a four, yeah. three um, or something, a different aspect ratio. So I'm for that. It, it should be really cool, but I don't need to see that in IMAX. Now the Batman I'm a diehard Batman fan, and I saw that one opening day in Dolby Surround, and it was utterly incredible. Um, mm. But that's why I want to go to the theater. I don't buy snacks, really. Um, sometimes I buy an Icy. But there they is don't the, like you. There is something fun in, about going there and escaping in that movie magic. Oh, yeah. I mean, movies just hit different. I saw Dune in IMAX, and that was absolutely yeah. incredible. It doesn't relate as good when you're at home, but it still holds up pretty well. Um, like the Batman, I watched the Batman on HBO Max when it was available on the 19th and I, I, it still hit very well. So, um, I, to answer your question, no, I don't think that the streaming will kill off theaters. It just does make it a little more accessible, but I do think mm-hmm. that theaters will, will be here forever. The issue is they need to work on not charging $25 for a ticket because that's how, that's Inflation. how Netflix is. Well, but that's how Netflix is going to lose their subscribers too, because yeah, they're, we're raising prices they're and we're cracking down. They're and fucking up. It's a stupid experience. So. And they're they're wanting to, to institute ads and stop, you know, password sharing. And oh, man, no good. Uh, so actually, interesting you brought up the Batman. Good transition because you are also a comic book guy. I'm not a comic book guy. I'm a comic movie guy. I like the Marvel movies and all that. But never read the comic books. But I know you have. So you are a big Batman guy. Why is Batman your favorite? Uh, it's just it's a hard question to answer necessarily because I, I don't have a, a direct answer. I just loved him when I was a kid and it, he just kind of grew on me. But I mean, he's he's a, a normal man. He's a very, very rich man, but he he trains. He's himself. a rich man. And when I was growing up, I just loved Batman. I watched Batman, the animated series. I had all the toys. Uh, I just absolutely loved Batman. I couldn't get enough. And as I got older, diving more into the psychology of Batman was the more fascinating thing. And so uh, different creators like Frank Miller and stuff like that. um, And uh, for film wise, uh, Christopher Nolan and even um, Tim Burton fleshed out this different type of Batman that we really had to look at the choices that he makes and the people around him that are affected by it. Um, And just the simplest idea too of Batman is a mass vigilante that rises up and he stops crime. Now, for any for any positive reaction, you're going to have that negative reaction. So it's going to obviously equally cause villains to rise up because they see that Batman can do it. So there's an argument that the existence of Batman is actually harm, more harmful to Gotham than right. it is beneficial. Creates the copycats. Yeah. And it's, so it's absolutely fascinating. There have been lots of Batmans and there's been lots of different directors making their own their own spin, their own take on Batman. What, for your money, what do you think, which iteration has been the closest to really capturing the comic book Batman? Well, I think they all are because you have to think, you have to remember Batman's been around since the the 40s. And so with him, he's had so many different iterations and styles and, you know, Jeff Loeb. Yeah, has, like there was I, the cartoon, right? And then there was Adam West. And then there's been however many since then, George Clooney, Val Kilmer, you know, um, Ben Affleck, Christian Bale, now Robert Pattinson, like, and some of them have been really dark, like Heath Ledger's. And I think Robert Pattinson's too, I haven't seen it yet, but it looks very dark. And some of them have been more, 
you know, conventional, more lighthearted almost, you know, like the ones with Mr. Freeze, you know, they were almost like campy, right? Yeah. Is, is, was, do you think that's more relatable to the comics? But yes, certain, yes, certain uh, eras of the comics, because of the, the time and the presence that, the the present that they were in, that's, it works. I mean, think of the Adam West Batman. He was dancing on there. He carried big bombs yeah. and he didn't look like any Batman, but it worked. And so the Joel Schumacher yeah. Batmans, the Batman forever and Batman and Robin mm. hold a very special place in my heart because I grew up watching those. I absolutely loved them. Sure. They don't really hold up in the sense of like good films, but they are popcorn flicks through and through. I still, if they're on TV or if I need mindless entertainment, I will put it on because it's awesome. Um, I love Jim Carrey as a Riddler. I thought that was so perfect. Yeah, he's great. And it, and it has, it, it, it's part of the annals of, of DC history, right? And so mm-hmm. um, I think that you can, you can definitely take a brooding dark Batman, but that is done so often. And uh, Batman, yeah, he, he is a dark character. Uh, there were a lot of issues in Man of Steel with Superman when Zack Snyder tried to make him a dark Superman. You just can't do that with Superman because Superman is truth, justice in the American way. Superman is the the golden child, like prodigal son. Uh, so he's the one that needs to be above reproach. But Batman is the one who works in the gray and who will pulverize someone just to get an answer where the Joker is. Right. He'll break mm-hmm. a, a lowly henchman's arms and legs just to figure out where the just where won't the kill Joker him. Is. He won't kill him, but it's also like now you're paralyzed. So, yeah, right. The, why won't you kill me? There's I mean, <laughs> so there's a lot of that. Like, it's, it's cool that he has his rule, but he always operates in the gray. So Batman's obviously DC. Does that mean that you are more of a fan of DC comics or are you are, are you a Marvel guy? DC comics are, uh, in my opinion, a lot better than Marvel comics. Uh, but with Marvel, they really knew how to figure out the films. And the yeah. 12 years uh, between Iron Man 1 and Avengers Endgame were absolutely phenomenal and such an amazing part of my life. I remember seeing... Uh, Iron Man in at the Sea Home Cinema, which I don't even think is around anymore. Nope, no, it's uh, not. Yeah, I saw that with my ex girlfriend, and I was just like, "This was so fun!" And I knew about comics. Like, what's your I, favorite Marvel movie? Favorite Marvel movie? That one's tough yeah. because before Endgame came out, I would have said Captain America: Civil War, and I still say really? it's my second favorite. I love espionage films, and I loved uh, how cloak and dagger it was plus it had the amazing elevator fight scene where he's like yeah that was a good one before before we get started does anyone want to get off and i'm like yeah okay yeah it's about to go down yeah i for me i mean obviously endgame just because of that epic finale assemble and the mjolnir and all that but um i think thor ragnarok has got to be my favorite just because like how funny it was like all all the marvel movies had humor in them but it was hilarious hilarious yeah, I really like that one, and I really love Taika Waititi a lot. There's definitely a, a distinct change that they made from uh, Thor and then Thor of the Dark World, where they made it way more fun and lighthearted and very bright and vibrant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited for Lo- uh, Love and Thunder. But um, yeah, it's 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 a completely different style, and it just it, it just works. It works really well. And Kevin Feige, I mean, he's he's a god. Like the way he was able to to make this work for 12 years and give creative. Is that how you say that? Kevin Feige, yeah. F E I G E. That's at least how everything I've read and seen is Feige. Oh, it says. Uh, it says we lost connection to server. I don't. It looks like we might have oh, some connection issues. Um, attempting to reconnect. 
Are you seeing anything on your end? You there? You there? There you are. Oh, geez. Something happened. I think I might have switched to my other Wi-Fi for, for some reason. Um, yeah, Kevin Feige. I, did, I, I, thought, I had no idea how that's how it was pronounced. Um, so besides Batman, who are your two favorite superheroes and why? Besides Batman? Oh, well, yeah. okay. Uh, I'd say Spider-Man and then the X-Men. So I like DC characters, but I mean, Batman is everything for me. And then I like Superman, but I'm not I'm not enamored by him. Spider-Man, for sure. I just loved Spider-Man. I grew up watching the cartoons on on Fox, you know, mm. um, and I, I I read a lot of the comic books. Um, I played all the video games. He just my gamer tag is Spider-Man 60. So I, I yes, love Spider-Man. Um, the X-Men, same thing. Watch the cartoons on Fox and just that, that memorable opening. I mm. loved all the films. Uh, Hugh Jackman was just, he, he's absolutely incredible. So good run he had too. Oh my gosh. Like 16 years, but That's yeah, crazy. the, the X-Men were, were unbelievable. And I'm, I'm waiting for a new X-Men film that Marvel can handle that can really just kind of bring it all together. Yeah. They had those kids, you know, the, the, the new one about all the kids, but I don't think that did very well. No X-Men first class. And those were all, uh, not Sony, but they were, uh, universal i think or something like that they were yeah. uh, a different um com- company so yeah so one thing that everybody argues and debates about is who's the strongest superhero right because it's like easy to think oh superman right except he has this big glaring weakness with kryptonite and then if you look at across over at marvel people say you know well i mean thor is a god but like you know thor you know, ostensibly might be able to be killed. I don't know. I mean, what about Captain Marvel? There's a lot of, you know, debate over who's the strongest. So for you, if it was like a Royal Rumble, who survives all superheroes? That's a, it's a very loaded question. So it's not easy to answer because the thing about superheroes is it just takes an, an artist and an author to basically say, Oh, look, now they're the strongest. So mm, this sure. is all in hypotheticals. Emotionally, Batman is the strongest just because of the shit that he has to deal with, in my opinion. Uh, but physically, it's hard to argue against the Hulk, uh, who basically there are times when Hulk has has battled like the Juggernaut or the Thing or whatever, and he still prevailed. Or even Wolverine, who basically can't die and still prevailed. Um, Hulk is, I mean, that is his 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 strength or his you know his uh, power is his strength. Everyone has weaknesses. Every superhero has weaknesses, even Superman, obviously. So it's it's really hard to narrow that down and say who the strongest superhero is. Like not but Dark Phoenix? No, well, I mean, even like, okay, so like uh, Wanda Maximoff, right? She mm-hmm. she could have killed Thanos. And then the reason that's the reason Should've. he said like rain from above, you know, like fire all the missiles because he she was about to kill him. Yeah. I mean, she Wanda is is incredibly strong. And Thanos was supposed to be the strongest in the universe. So it's just like. Who would have, who would have thought that, right? So right, and there well, there's so many comic characters too that don't never make it to the movies. So I was reading up on Wikipedia's, and they're saying like Galactus or uh, Adam uh, Adam Warlock, you know, Adam Warlock. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of them that uh, for me, I mean, I'm not a comic guy. I would never have known if I hadn't gone down a rap you know rabbit hole on Wikipedia. Yeah, it's um, it gets a little ridiculous, but that's why I don't really get into those uh, those characters as much i like the more grounded realistic like the spider-mans and the batmans who are Mm. spider-man is a kid from uh from queens right it's just it's cool to see him do stuff that 
would be your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, not battle space aliens and whatnot. I'm glad they're getting back to the roots. Yeah, they're getting back to the roots of Spider-Man. And same thing with Batman. Yeah. He's a man who fights other men. He he sometimes fights people that are a little more supernatural, but that yeah. is a real challenge for him. And that's cool. It's not just a, hey, I'm going to knock someone out like Superman. Yeah. Pow. Yeah. Uh, so let's switch gears. You, you said you're a sports guy. I know you're a baseball fan. I know you're a Mariner fan. You've been a Mariner fan for a long time. And they're finally good. It finally seems like they're good again after a long, long time. Do you, do you buy into it? Are you a believer? 100%. Yeah, I've been a Mariners fan since I was a kid, uh, since I was two years old, basically. I don't know if that's the exact age, but I've been a lifelong Mariners fan, um, even through the good and the bad. My family were season ticket holders. Uh, they actually, my parents got to go to the inaugural game at Safeco Field that is now T-Mobile oh, cool. Park, but uh, it was awesome. So I got to see the 95 slide, all that kind of stuff. I got to see the 2001 116-win uh, season. I got to see us lose in the um, ALCS, which was stupid, but it is what it is. And so you can't, you have to have a short-term memory of sports and it's a bummer. And I have a friend and I refrain from naming him, but no matter what, he is so negative on Twitter about it, yet he he loves the Mariners. And I'm just kind of like at the point when, yeah, I'll get upset, but then I'm like, okay, whatever. This early on in the season, it's it's way too early. There's 162 games. It's way too early to get upset if we if we lose a game and we have zero runs or or one run and two hits or something like that. Those oh, are sure. Shows. They happen. I mean, even the Dodgers get shut out sometimes, you it, know? Exactly. And so and I understand being like, oh, same old Mariners, but that's that's not it. This team is just different. Well, Mariner fans are like beat dogs, you know? It's like 21 years of just suck and suck and suck. You get a little bit negative after a while. I mean, I kind of see it, you know? It's like trauma. Well, absolutely. But I tell you what, Aaron, and I and I will I will stand on this hill and die. And and there are hundreds of thousands of people that will probably agree with me. Seattle's a baseball town. Uh, The Seahawks are great. They have their their moment. Um, No, Seattle is a baseball town through and through. I guarantee you, especially if you were around here in the the early 90s or 2000s or seeing all that, this city is electric when the Mariners play. And if not, they never caused an earthquake when when. They get to that's whatever that's hogwash when the Mariners make it to the playoffs and when the Mariners make it to the World Series, this city will erupt. You think you think that almost a million people at the parade was was a lot. There will be easily over one and a half million. I disagree, because for one thing, baseball is not even as popular of a sport as football anymore. Football is by far the most popular sport in the country. It would be weird for any city in the United States that has both football and baseball to be a baseball town. Because the football games are going to have higher attendance. They sell more merch. There's more eyes on TV. Like, it's a bigger sport. So I think you're comparing the big sport to a lot of different factors. There are 17 games in one year for a football season. And you get to play for two and a half hours. And cool. It's on a Sunday, Thursday, or Monday. Baseball is almost every day of the week. Playoff baseball is draws in more viewers on a consistent basis than the actual playoffs for football. And we, we and should know what that's obviously like the year. Super Bowl is like is the highest, but the Super Bowl is the, the cream of the crop for any sport. Um, yeah. The World Series is seven games. It can go up to seven games. So there's a lot that goes into it. But regardless, and you know this being a Sounders fan, this city loves their sports teams. So oh, yeah. We have people that are not just from Seattle. We have people from the outlying areas that are are chomping at the bit for a team to to do good. And you will see it, I promise you. 
you can mark my words right now that when we get to that point, when we are in the playoffs, this entire city will be behind this team and it will be bigger and it will be better than any Seahawks playoff run. We will be absolutely electric. And I, I guarantee you, you can ask any, you can ask any real baseball enthusiast and you'll see, I, know, I promise. I don't you, know. Aaron. I was, I was at the uh, NFC West or no, the NFC championship game in 2013 when Cam Chancellor almost killed Vernon Davis. Sure. And, and that was a fantastic never, playoff game. Oh, God. It yeah. was amazing. And I, I don't think that the, Mar- the, the Mariners games, if I've been to a Mar- Rock and Mariners game before, maybe not as rocking as it's been this year because they're good. Well, but then you, it's I think never matched that electricity. But I think you're, you're not comparing, you're comparing a lemon to spaghetti. Like it's two completely different things. Uh, but they're both good, though. I like lemons. I like spaghetti, but it's not. It's not. It's not the same thing at all. And we'll agree to disagree. I. No, I think. I think Seattle is a football town. No, but no way. A hundred percent a baseball town. I guarantee. There are so many fake fans. You will see with the Seahawks being as shitty this year. I guarantee you'll see the true colors of of the Seahawks fans. I'm a diehard Seahawks fan. I've been one since I was a kid through the shitty, shitty years. Um, the Rick Myers, even though I like Rick Meyer, but yeah, a on. lot of a lot of that kind of stuff, you you. You will see what happens when this town is ready to throw them away. So the what's baseball, what? What do you think about the, the start on. to the Mariners' season? How are they doing? Like who who are you? Who do you like? Who are you worried about? Who are you excited to see? It's too early to tell. Uh, I am worried about our defense here and there. JP, who is my favorite player, actually. Uh, JP has had three errors, I believe, or four errors this year, which is not like him. He's a Gold Glover. He will figure that out. Um, I am worried sometimes about our rotation, but honestly, not really, because we have a very good rotation. There are maybe a couple hitters like Kelnick, who needs to step up. Julio is finally starting to slightly turn it around, which is big. When Mitch Hanniger comes back, he needs to turn it around a little more. Me and a coworker were talking about this situation with Hanniger. Like, where are they? Where is he going to fit in? You know, like, do you do you sit Kellenick? Do you move Kellenick over to left field? And do you you know bring on Winker as a DH? What what are they going to do? Um, no, I mean, so yeah, Winker's Winker's a good piece. Uh, you you got to keep Kellenick. Uh, so I would say because of his glove. Him. You yeah, because he's would, not hitting. You would keep him in left because of his glove, but you also need to develop him. You can DH one of them too. So um, we'd see what would happen. We need to see more numbers from them, or you could DH Mitch too. You need the veteran presence, and also Mitch is a a very good player. So it's yeah. not like he's he's scraps. He when he is on, he is on. He has three home runs, and he's been out for a week. So like without those those five six games that he hasn't been able to play in, I mean his numbers could be way better. Uh, yeah. So it's it's just too early to tell. There's not enough. How good is Ty France? Holy cow! He's fantastic. Yeah, he's we, raking right. And now. that was in Jerry Depoto. One of, in my fantasy football league, uh, I've been playing in it for over a decade. This guy is in it, and I'll refrain from using his name. But this guy is in it. Knows nothing about baseball, and when someone doesn't know something about a specific topic, and they just make an outlandish statement based off of hearsay or something they may have read. Uh, it kind of makes me mad. He said that the the worst move the Mariners have made in the past twenty years is re-signing Scott Service and Jerry Depoto. And I was like, oh. "All right, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna stop this conversation because I don't think you you know anything." And it was funny because a bunch of us were actually like audibly laughing. Depoto's um, the man. I for Ty mm. France, we traded Austin Nola and then like I think one or two pitchers, and we got uh, Ty. I'm sorry, we got Ty France. Uh, oh, I wrote this the other day. Matt Brash. No, hold on. Hold, please. 
Yeah, Brash has been pitching really well. Like that's it was his first Brash start ever too. He's a rookie, right? Yeah, he's a yeah he's a rookie. So oh okay, we got Taylor Trammell, um, Andres Munoz, uh, Luis Torrens, and Ty France for Austin Nola. It's insane, yeah. and they, they've all that's been contributing. Um, Taylor Trammell hasn't really done anything. I'm sorry, not Taylor Trammell. Uh, Austin Nola has been a good part for San Diego, but what we got for him is absolutely incredible. Ty France could be an all star this year. Again, way too early to tell, but mm. the the guy well, and is, they built is up the they they built up the the pipeline, the farm system. You know, like we we had something like the twentieth twenty fifth uh, best farm system before. Now I think we're in the top five in terms of prospects coming up. Yep, and we haven't even seen George Kirby. We haven't um, we haven't seen um, uh, I'm blanking right now. Um, I can't remember his name. A lot of pressure on you right now. There's so many people listening to you. No, I don't. Yeah, but we haven't seen some of our our uh, aces in in the in, in the farm system mm. who are our pitchers who can come up and be contributors. Uh, Logan Gilbert. Logan Gilbert is straight fire yeah, right now. Crushing Matt, it. Matt Brash got kind of rocked the other day, but you know he's still a rookie. Um, but under the tutelage, Marco of, is still Marco. It looks like. Yeah, and under the tutelage of Robbie Ray, like it's just too much. It's it's awesome. So. Um, we we have we have a lot of uh, upside for this, so it's going to be interesting. So the Mariners have it, Emerson Hancock. That's who it is. Emerson Hancock. That's who, what a name. Yeah, that's, that's a class right. name right there. So the Mariners have uh, an, uh, a record that's maybe not the most you know a nice one to think about. That they have not made the playoffs for twenty one years. Longest drought in active sports. Longest active drought in professional sports of any sport. Twenty one years, no playoffs. So you alluded to that 2001-116 win season. Would you rather, and why, would you rather have them win the World Series this year and then not go to the playoffs for another 21 years or every year be consistently good, make the playoffs most year, but not win a World Series? First of all, I mean, I don't think it's ever going to happen where they're going to not they're going to make the World Series and then not be good for the next 21 years. What I will say, though, to answer your question, I want a World Series. Um, I never want to be the bridesmaid. I never want to always be the bridesmaid and never be the bride because good will only get you so far. Again, look at the Seahawks, um, who apparently is the greatest sport in Seattle. You will see how many bandwagoners jump off this year when they realize that we are not going to the playoffs for quite some time. Uh, Drew Mm -hmm. Locke is not our guy. We don't know who's going to be our guy next. And so you kind of saw it last year. I mean, last year at a Seahawks game, I paid $11 for a, a ticket. That was the cheapest I've ever paid for a Seahawks ticket. And it was it was empty. I mean, you would never, ever have that happening. And I know people who have season tickets that are like, we don't really know if we want to want to renew our tickets. And I don't blame them because they're incredibly expensive. Mm-hmm. And it's just like the product you're putting out there. I'd rather watch it from the comfort of my own home than go to the stadium and and, and chant. But with baseball, tickets are cheap. And the Mariners, even though they know we're good, have still introduced things like uh, like value beers and value hot dogs, making it even cheaper, listening to the fans, making things more accessible and fun. Most people I know who don't really like baseball love to go to T-Mobile Park because of the atmosphere. And that is that is something you're not necessarily going to get every single time at a Seahawks game. There's no denying that going to a Hawks game is electric. That uh, when when they're on, when the crowd is on, it's on. But the past few years, Aaron, have been a chore trying to chant, especially with people who just want to go there for like Instagram and stuff. It has been a very 
tough time trying to yeah, get Yeah, that's fair. But what, 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 what would it do to the collective psyche of the fan base if they won a World Series and they're like, yes, finally, and then another 21 years of just drudgery and misery? Like, man, that would be – that's tough. How do you get through two decades? But that's sports. I mean, that's just what happens sometimes. The Royals won a World Series, and they haven't really been back to the playoffs in probably like six or seven years. So it's just – that's sports. It happens. Um, there are constant trades. Uh, there's no salary caps in baseball, but there are trades. There are money limitations that certain teams have. There are injuries. There are things that are out of your control. And so you always take a World Series. Like, I will, I want to see the Mariners win the World Series before I die. So I will take a World Series well, every single day. I would hope that that could happen. I mean, that's, you it got will. another 50, 60 oh, it, years. That would be will. bad. I'll live it longer will. than that. So, all right. Moving on, current events. Hot topics, very controversial, time to get canceled. Today, the big news that Twitter finally formally agreed to sell um, the majority of shares to Elon Musk for a total of 40, I think 43 billion at $54 a share. So anybody who owned Tesla or Tesla, Twitter today, before today, just got paid out 54 bucks a share for that, which, you know, probably made you money depending on when you bought in. But I know a lot of people are freaking out now. Because Elon Musk says he wants to come in here and clean house and make it free speech and, you know, stop the quote unquote censorship. And a lot of people are now thinking that this is just a billionaire flexing and he's going to it's going to be a Mad Max via Twitter. What do you think? It's too early to tell again with that. Um, That's your theme of this episode. It's too early to tell. Well, here's here's I think because here's the best approach you need to take with the situation if you're not 100 percent versed in it is I am not going to spit my opinion if I do not know enough about it to to uh, correctly have a have an argument or a statement, what I will say is if what he's saying about free speech and cleaning house ends up being bad, which it could possibly be, then yeah, I'm against it because we're talking about cens- censorship exists for a reason. Now, do they take advantage of that? Not necessarily Twitter, but other things. Do they take advantage of censorship and the cancel culture? Absolutely. Do things need to be canceled? hundred percent. But I'm looking at things like Trump, right? Where he's spreading misinformation and he is, he's canceled or his account is suspended from Twitter for specific reasons because there is harmful information being spread out there. And unfortunately we live in a world where people don't know how to uh, disassociate things from what's real and what's not. And there's too much rhetoric out there that can be incredibly, incredibly harmful with anecdotes left and right. You know, well, I don't know anybody that died from COVID, so therefore it's fake. So it's it's just, it's it's too much. And you have to be very, very careful with that. And I'm not saying Twitter is is, is a golden boy with it or anything like that. They're not, they're not the, the perfect saint uh, of it. There's still a lot of flaws, but I am nervous about opening it up for complete well, free speech. The thing like, when you start saying like certain things need to be censored or canceled, then the next question is, who gets to decide what that is? Who, exactly. who gets to decide what's canceled? Exactly. And like on Twitter, one of the things that some people pointed out as being kind of hypocritical is that there are videos on Twitter of ISIS beheading people. Mm-hmm. Like there's an official ISIS account t- tweeting videos of them beheading people. And there's porn. There's porn all over it, right? It's nasty. There's You can find, if you go down a rabbit hole, don't ask me how I know, but you can find a lot of crazy stuff on there, right? And but then there's other people who say something that is 
controversial and offensive and hurtful towards a certain group of people. And they shouldn't say that, obviously, like they're terrible things and probably terrible people, but that gets taken off. Right. And so it's like, well, where's the moderation for this other stuff? And who is it that's pulling, that's making these decisions? Yeah. So that's, that's not for me to say. Um, I think there's a lot that goes into that. Uh, first of all, comparing uh, the ISIS beheadings to porn is, is completely different. I agree. I know what you're saying and I agree with you. It's, it's setting those standards as a moderator who says that this is okay, but this is not. Um, right. I, I think nudity is absolutely okay. I think we as a society are, are, are so odd with it. You and I were b- both in Europe and in Europe, they treat it as like, it's a normal, beautiful thing. And here, for some reason, we are just like, oh my God, you can't say that. You can't use the Lord's name in vain. You can't say shit on, on the radio, all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. It makes no sense to me. Right. Like who fucking cares if I swear, but Watching someone get killed is, is is a lot different. I don't know anything about these ISIS, the ISIS account or seen anything like that. I've seen news stories where it's like warning graphic content, but I've never seen anything like that necessarily. Um, so other than, you know, like the police killings and whatnot. Um, and I think Twitter does that too. They'll show like a warning, like warning sure. graphic content. Yep. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know enough about the the censorship uh, laws and, and regulations. I think Twitter Twitter does a pretty good job, though, with it. Uh, obviously, they, they make mistakes as well. Um, you can see a retweet through timelines sometimes where, you know, the big thing right now is, is the don't say gay bill in Florida, which is an incredibly stupid thing. But basically, a lot of those parents are like, well, my son's my son or daughter is going to grow up gay because if you if you teach him about, um, you know, choosing your gender, it's like, hang on, there's so many things wrong with what you just said right there. But it's like these these gay kids who were gay when they were born are reading about books about straight men and women, straight boys and girls. Is that going to turn them straight? Like, we, right. it's, it's incredibly asinine. And you can flip it the other way. Uh, just even it's about, about representation, it. right? Exactly. And understanding that things are the way that they are and we need to accept it and embrace it because we need to spread love and not hate. So setting that censorship is, is tough. You're right. Um, I want to believe, and I want to be optimistic that Elon Musk will still come in with some set limitations, but who really knows? Yeah. Who who knows what can happen? I think that there are like constitution, not constitutionally, but like in the Supreme Court, there have been not restrictions, but sort of uh, alterations to what does or does not constitute free speech, right? Like yelling fire in a crowded theater or making death threats. Yeah. Yeah. Like those things, obviously, those we've said through a court of law, like that's not covered under free speech, right? So those are not going to be allowed. But like, will people be allowed to just say whatever they want in terms of misinformation and just say, yeah, the earth is flat and we never went to the moon and COVID's a hoax. And People still say that. So so I think there's a difference, though, between harmful and hurtful information. Flat earthers, it's not going to hurt anybody because we know the earth is round. Um, We know that we we know that we went to the moon. You can have your conspiracy theories about that, but that doesn't affect people. But telling a friend that don't wear a mask, don't get a vaccine, like the government is just trying to come in here and take you to a pizza parlor and go downstairs and all that kind of shit. Like that's the stuff and all the QAnon things that can really, really mm. yeah, be yeah, damaging yeah. And, and scary. Well, and this is kind of messed up and I, sh- and I feel a little bit bad for thinking this, but you know, those people that spread the misinformation about like, Oh, don't wear a mask. Don't get a vaccine. Like, you know, Darwinism, you know, natural selection. I don't feel bad about that at all. Honestly, if it's, it's one of those things, like I love people Fuck around, find out, you, find you out. know, and, and I, and I love people, but it, we have a solution 
we have something that has been proven to be safe and effective by hundreds of thousands of of scientists and physicians and who know way more than I do um, because I barely passed, you know, science in high school. So (laughs) um, I'm going to listen to them, those experts. But we have- Yeah, and ever since I got the vaccine, my cell coverage has been so much better. Exactly. Um, Or my, you know, I can stick magnets to my face (laughs) because I'm I'm now Magneto. So it's just, um, it's, it's insane that some people think these things, but it's, it's just, it doesn't surprise me, uh, that there are people that believe it. They're the same type of people that think the election was stolen. And I'm like, why? God, what, yeah. What, what, what's, what's your reasoning for that? Cause they lost. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pretty <Daddy>, easy. <laughs> yeah. Cause daddy lost and he had yeah. no rebuttal to that. So he immediately says, well, it was stolen. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, people knew that that was going to be the reaction when he lost, you know, like if Trump loses, he's not going to admit Go figure. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, I have zero um, sympathy for the fuck, fuck around and find out crew. So right now, lots going on in, in Europe with Russia invading Ukraine. That's been going on for like a month and a half now. Uh, it's been back and forth. You know, at first, I know everybody was saying like, oh, man, you know, Ukraine's going to put up a good fight, but they're going to get steamrolled. You know, Zelensky's going to get killed quick. You know, but here we are a month and a half into it. And Russia... Their military does not look impressive. Their logistics have been terrible. They're having to make multiple backtracks. Uh, they're taking huge losses, like that big ship they lost. They've had like seven generals killed. How close are you paying attention to this, and where do you think this ultimately ends up? So it's really tough with with uh, foreign affairs and and the war because I I'm sitting here in my privileged white home, you know where. Um, I, I can go walk around free willed and not worry about bombs being dropped on me. So I don't take advantage or I don't take for granted the, the freedoms and liberties that I have. And I do think about uh, what's happening over there in Ukraine, but um, I don't know enough to uh, to properly answer everything. But I, I do follow it. Um, I, that NPR up first uh, gives pretty much a daily wrap on, on what's going on mm. with uh, everything. Like I know uh, Lloyd Austin uh, went to this week with Ant- Anthony Blinken and they uh, I think it was like yesterday and they spoke with Zelensky. Basically, we are giving, you know, millions and millions of dollars worth of ammunition and weapons to Ukraine to help them defend. It's like we're not interfering. Um, we're just, you know, no. supplying the shit out of Ukraine. But but it's also us being the strongest. Well, one of the strongest nations in the world. We, we, we strongest do need to, by we, far. We, yeah, we need to intervene at, at a certain point, especially when we're seeing war crimes when we're seeing Russia yeah. inflict their special military operation mm. to and, and and murder people and commit genocide and it's it's insane Putin is a a Nazi edge lord who is who, who's claiming that he's he's ridding Ukraine of Nazis he's <laughs> he's denazifying them and the scary Damn. thing is there are a lot of Russians and Russia is an absolutely amazing country so it's it's don't ever group the entire country of Russia behind one dictator um, you know, fuck Putin, but Russia is a fantastic country. So, but there are unfortunately many, many Russians who were around during the Soviet Union who think that it's all propaganda in Ukraine, that they're faking the videos, yeah. that they think that Putin is doing the right thing. And it is very scary. But I look at the US too, and I'm like, you know what? There were people that thought the insurrection was okay. So I know those are two different things, but it's um, it's it's very heartbreaking to see. It, it's crazy the amount of control that Russia has over what their population sees. Mm-hmm. I was watching or listening to an interview. I think it was on NPR, and it was with this guy who is a Russian citizen, but he was living in Ukraine in Kiev, and he called his dad back home in Russia and was like, "Dad, I just want to let you know I'm okay. You know, this is what's happening. There's you know been a couple bombs nearby," and his dad was like, "No, that's not true." 
No, I mean, I, I've been paying close attention. Like, you know, the, Russia is just there to, to, you know, liberate you guys from the Nazis. You're actually, we're, our soldiers are saving children and like rescuing them. And he was like, no, dad, there's like tanks rolling down the street, you know, like stuff, people are being killed. Civilians are being killed. And he's like, no, that's not happening at all. And he had complete, for he would not accept the testimony of his son who was there. That's how strong of a hold Putin has over these people's psyches. It's it's terrifying. And I mean, we talk about censorship over there. It's like if you sneeze in the wrong direction, it's just like in China too. Like Xi is in, in charge of everything, right? And so like in Mariupol, it's it's horrible there. I mean, they're still fighting. Um, you know, Putin's saying, oh, we'll have a ceasefire if you do X, Y, and Z. But Zelensky's like, fuck you, dude. I don't trust you. Are you kidding me? There's there's yeah. no way. I wouldn't trust Putin. After and what happened in Crimea, Crimea and Georgia, and now- yeah. And so, and and I understand what what Putin is trying to say. I don't agree with him because he's wrong. But um, you know, he's he's worried <laughs> and that he's NATO, a bitch. Well, he's worried that NATO is expanding too far into the east, and he's like, "Hey, get out of here!" But also, piss off, dude. It, it doesn't matter. Um, he wants Ukraine to be essentially an independent, not an independent nation, but uh, kind of like uh, what Austria and Sweden, uh, where they are independent enough, but not have like a military control, basically. Uh, I don't know the word I'm trying to find here. But well, he wants them to be a proxy for him, right? It's like basically. a connection to the Black yes. Sea because they've got he, a lot of coastline. He needs, that's why Crimea is here. And the he, gas he, pipelines go through Ukraine. Exactly. He needs, that's what it co- kind of comes down to is oil, trade, and then he just wants to instill his dominance and show that he's a, he's a strong leader and nation. There are theories, and these are just theories, and I don't want to even, uh, you know, this, this is a disclaimer, but there are theories that he's on his way out in the sense of like, He's dying. He has some sort of illness. One can hope. If you kind of look at things, maybe the Mad King George, you know, so it's just kind Mm. of uh, one of those, one of those things. Ares Targaryen um, just needs, exactly. Just needs a, uh, needs Lannister to ram a a sword through the Kingslayer. You need a Kingslayer. Jamie Lannister. So it's um it's devastating, you know. Our thoughts are with all the Ukrainian citizens who are just who they they want those troops out of there, they're like in Kiev and Odessa. They're just trying to survive, and it's it's terrible to to have to worry about a bomb being dropped at any moment or oh god, I can't imagine seeing mass grave sites or wondering what's going to happen next. It's it's terrible. you know it's funny my my dad right born in 1948, so he was born like right before the Korean War. And then he fought in the Vietnam War, and then he w- saw the Gulf War and the Bosnian, you know, conflict, and then obviously Iraq and Afghanistan. So he's seen a lot of war throughout his life, and he says every time I see him, he says it just blows me away that it's 2022 and we're still doing this, right? Like how crazy is it really if you think about it? Because we've been more or less in a, a state of peace between the major nations, except mm-hmm. for you know like the U.S.'s imperialism in the middle east but like where nations aren't invading each other it's like man what are we doing like how are we still resorting to this mm-hmm. yeah it's it's weird i don't i i don't know and it was everyone knew it was going to happen but it just seems almost unprovoked and it is unprovoked i should say but yeah it's he's he's a, he's a fuck face so that's all I can say. <laughs> yes he is so all right last topic covid the big topic for the last couple of years. Uh, you live down in Seattle where I know that they had really tight restrictions and still some places do, I think, you know, the mask mandates and obviously, and, and checking vax cards and whatnot. At this point, the mask mandate's over. You don't have to show your vaccine card most places. And now even that judge just recently struck down the, the federal mask mandate for public transport. 
are you are you going out maskless? Are you still carrying a mask with you just in case? Do you still wear a mask most places? I follow the experts, follow the CDC. Um, I if I'm outside. I'm not wearing a mask, but um, and certain stores like I was at Costco today and I didn't wear a mask. But um, if I am, if it was way busier in Costco or it was tighter quarters, uh, because like after work, I um, in addition to Costco, I also went to a store in my neighborhood just to kind of like walk around uh, the set shop. No, I popped in this like local goods shop and I, I wore a mask because it's a smaller place and there were people not wearing masks, but it's okay. It's 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 whoever's choice at this point. Um, I'm fully vaccinated and boosted. I did my part, my civic duty. Uh, I feel comfortable enough. And so I'm I'm at the point when I understand the guidelines are how they are, but I don't want people trying to tell people what to do in the sense of you need to not wear a mask in here. I can see the argument for the other way <laughs> yeah. as well, obviously. But what I'm saying is we, we are beyond the whole, well, they shouldn't have made us do that. We're beyond all of that. Cause now it's a mask masks are optional. So it's yeah. like, cool. So how long do you, th- how long do you think it'll be before everybody's comfortable without masks or will we get there? It's going to be quite a while. Um, I personally like to wear them uh, around crowded things like on public transportation because public transportation is disgusting, especially here in Seattle. And I don't like getting sick ever. So for me, if it will help prevent me or help uh, prevent me from spreading an illness or something I might have, then I'm all for it. It is. Mm-hmm. It is such a minor, minor inconvenience for me. It's um. It's less more. It's less inconvenient than stubbing my toe or running out of ketchup for my fries. So um, it's it's something mm. to me that takes like two seconds to put on, and it I don't care. Sometimes it's kind of nice too because the introverted side in me, I don't have to see people, and I can just walk around and cover my face. So yeah, that's true. Although I hate that moment where you're like carrying things and you're going in somewhere, then all of a sudden you got to fumble for it and slip it on. It's you know. I mean, I don't, that, that has literally never happened to me. It's like those commercials, it's like those infomercials with the white people where they like drop plates all over the place. Like, oh no. Well, those are obviously egregious and fake, but I, I know what you mean. The only thing that as a glasses wearer that bugs me is it's hard when you go into a place mm. and it's cold outside and then it's really warm on the inside and your, your mask is fogging up your glasses. That's a bummer. But again, minor inconvenience, it's not that huge of a deal. Um, I worked yeah. out in a mask in my gym, super easy. It was, I hate it, that it, it, it was not something that was, was horrible. Um, the more we learn about it, obviously, you know, it's like, Hey, just it's, we recommend wearing one, but at the same time you do you. So I, mm. I like it. And I don't like being on a plane when people are coughing left and right. Planes are pretty disgusting. They have gotten a lot better with it. Uh, but, um, yeah, I don't mind wearing a mask on a plane. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people are still going to have to for a while because I, I don't think they're going to allow this, you know, judge to have struck down that mandate. Anyway, so Zach, we're wrapping up here. Where can people find you on social media? What uh, products or services or people would you like to plug? I would like to plug my podcast, uh, the Don't mm. Be Crazy podcast. It is the movie one. Uh, we launch every Monday. We release new episodes. You can find us on Spotify, Pandora, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts all that kind of stuff, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I also have the top five podcasts, and that is also on all of the streaming services. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. We have one at dbcrazypod, or at, at dbcrazypod is what it is. And then the other one is at podcasts, top five. 
Um, my personal Twitter is ZachDale60, and that's Zach with an H, Z-A-C-H, Dale60. You can tweet at me. You can say I'm an idiot. You can say I'm sexy, or you can... Uh, those are your options? Me. Those are my options. You can, you can only it's use It's like those, a choose-your-own-adventure book. Those two things. Um, but uh, yeah, go Mariners. Uh, start watching Formula One if you have not. Watch Drive to Survive on Netflix before they, they take away the password sharing, and then uh, be hooked. You can, uh, you can talk about F1. It's going to be so great when all those are electric and you just hear a humming. Hmm. I mean, it'd be really <laughs> fast still, so I'm okay with it. True. Okay. Thank you, everybody. And this has been Episode 5, the Full Spectrum Podcast. Thank you for listening and watching. Bye-bye. <laughs>